Church, open your Bibles this morning. We are going to continue in the book of Proverbs, and we're all the way to the last chapter, chapter 31. For those of you who've been with us for a while, you know that we have been nine weeks in the book of Proverbs, and a couple of things that we've learned about Proverbs, it was written by Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, and uh, he wrote it to dispense wisdom, and we learned that wisdom is knowledge that's applied rightly. It's not enough biblically to know things. You have to know how to apply them in the right way. And the book of Proverbs is God's wisdom. He's saying if you'll do these things or learn these things, practice these things, you'll lead a good life. You'll lead a life that is noble and honorable and one that brings honor and glory to me and benefit to you. So he's saying let, let me teach you wisdom that is from God so that you're able to lead a good life. The wisdom dispensed in the book, I argued from week one, is in three major blocks or categories. And let me remind you what those are and where we are today. Uh, The first block of uh, Proverbs is uh, chapters one to nine, and it's a cycle of speeches from a father to a son. And if you recall, we spent a number of weeks in a couple of those speeches that was from father to son, explaining to to him what wisdom was or is and why you'd want that. Then we went to the middle section, which is really a distinctive section where there's those kind of two-liners. They're little couplets that deposit wisdom in a little nugget format. Pastor Nick was in that section last week in Proverbs chapter 22. This was one of the ones I picked up from last week. Like Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel not his own. In other words, you don't want to go into a quarrel that's not your own. It's like grabbing a dog, a stray dog by the ears. You're going to get bit. And so that little deposit of wisdom is in that format of those little two-line couplets that's delivering wisdom. And there was a large section of the book of Proverbs that's built around that nomenclature. We are in the final section of the book of Proverbs, that third section. And here's what makes it distinctive from the other two. It's written by other authors. And so Solomon has said, I'm gaining wisdom from all over the place, and some of it has been given directly to me from God, but some of it is written by other people, and I'm just bringing that into the collection of wisdom that I'm giving to God's people. And so we're going to find out today that in this final section, it's written by a man named Lemuel. Lemuel means belonging to God. So it's saying, I belong to God is in essence what Lemuel means. And we know that Lemuel is a king. Now, here's what we don't know. We don't know much else about Lemuel. We don't know where else he lived. Was he a foreign king that somehow came to know the Israelite God? Or is it even something maybe that it was another king that was in the Israelite group, but this was his pen name? You know, that's a possibility. We really don't know. But here's what we do know according to chapter 31 and verse 1. We're going to look at that just real briefly. I've got it up here on the screen for you. The sayings of King Lemuel, this is the way it starts off. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. So this is what we do know about the section we're reading today. It's by Lemuel, and it's his mother that said, son, this is some things I want to teach you today. And so that's really the format or the, the, the introduction of the section today that we need to know. It's from Lemuel. It's brought into the whole canon of wisdom by Solomon. And this is the way the whole book is actually concluded, is from wisdom from mom. I wonder what is some of the most important things that mom ever taught you. 
Denise and I were chatting about that this week. Denise reminded me that one of the most important things that her mother taught her was how to sew. And boy, do I remember early on, especially in our marriage, Denise sewed curtains. Denise sewed a lot of, especially Megan's outfits. They had little matching jumpers that I remember that she sewed. And it was a great thing that her mom just, you know, gave her was the ability to do some sewing. And she still sews some today, not as much like that anymore, but she's able to mend things and fix things. And that's become a very handy skill that mom deposited to her. One of the things that Denise and I both say is our moms taught us how to care for people. In fact, you know what my mom really excelled at was helping me appreciate people that were from other cultures. We lived in a very a multicultural area in our Northern California town of Yuba City. And so she helped me to appreciate and to learn to love individuals that come from cultures that are different. I'm glad she taught me that because that's God's heart. One of the things I told Denise is I said, I'm so glad, you know, one of the things my mom gave me was the uh, ability to cook. And Denise said, really? (laughs) And she said, "Uh, where has that gift been for 36 years? I said, come on, grilled cheese counts. I'm not saying I'm the best cook ever, but you know, mom did teach me a few things in the kitchen and point taken, I probably could do a little bit better in that way. I bet your mother's taught you some important things too. I wonder what some of those were. I'll tell you what I think most moms excel at is they are a good judge of character. When people come around, mom just has that second sense of saying, okay, I trust that individual or, Boy, there's some things about them I'm wondering about. And so mom has just got that sixth sense to be able to judge, uh, you know, people uh, and properly and, and, and know a little bit about them. In our chapter today, mom is going to teach her son something very practical, and it is what to look for in a good wife. That's the way that this whole book of wisdom is ending, is a mother saying to her son, If you're looking for a bride, these are some things that you should be looking for. These are the things that you're on the lookout for. If you're young and single today, stay tuned. You're going to learn something that's of extreme value. If you're looking to be married one day, listen carefully because these are some things that are on God's heart for the spouse you should look for, specifically for the wife you should look for. Now, again, I can still remember when I was young and I would have people that would ask me, it was usually close family members, they would say things like, you know, Brian, you know, what kind of wife do you think you'd like someday? And they'd have me kind of list off some of those attributes. And I will tell you that the conversation that you had with your aunts and uncles was very different from the one that you had with your buddies. Because you were saying to your aunts and uncles, oh, you know, first thing is, you know, she's got to be so smart. And with your buddies, first thing is, she's got to be hot. I mean, you know, I mean, it couldn't be two different lists, as it were, or where they at least started. But that was, a, you know, a common thing. And maybe you still ask some of those questions of, of individuals today. Uh, it's always interesting to hear what people say today as they think about some of the top things they want in a spouse. One of the ones that always makes me scratch my head is, I want somebody who makes me laugh. I I can't say the number of times I've seen that. And I'm like, really, that's on the top of your list? I want somebody who's got a job. I mean, you know, come on, let's get, get practical here. 
So, you know, what is again on the list of what you should be looking for? Today's passage from King Lemuel is connecting us with these ancient truths about what you look for, son, as you're going to look for a wife. I want you to read with me. We're in Proverbs chapter 31. I'm starting in verse 10. And this is what Solomon puts into the canon from Lemuel. And again, the way the book of Proverbs ends. I'm reading and starting in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks, she, she, uh, she sows rather wool and flax and works with her willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold on to the spindle, which is a metaphor, by the way, of spinning wool. So those are two parts of the instrument for spinning wool. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates while he is among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She does well to the ways of the household. She looks well to the ways of the household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is perhaps one of the most famous passages in all of the book of Proverbs. This is where we're going to close it out today. And there's a few things about this passage that are very interesting that we as English speakers would miss. And I want you to understand how this proverb is built. And it's built on an acrostic. You remember when you were in school and you learned about acrostics? That's the first letter of a word that spells something out that makes it easier for you to memorize things. Well, guess what? We can't see it in English, but this is built in Hebrew on an acrostic, and the acrostic are all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 of them. So there's 22 things that the writer is saying, I want you to know about a, a good wife, a noble wife, and they're spelled out in the Hebrew acrostic of the alphabet. I've got something on here that might give you a little idea of that. And again, it loses its translation because we don't know Hebrew. But there is Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And there is the line that corresponds with the Aleph. Then there's Bet, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav, Zion, on down the list. There's the Hebrew alphabet and how it lines up. 
So if you were an ancient person and you were given this uh, how to look for a good wife, you could go through the Hebrew alphabet and remember parts of it. And that's something that's going on here. By the way, that's not the only place where this device is used in the scriptures. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in all the Bible, is built on that acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's other places that this is happening in the scriptures. Now, here's what else I want you to hear. This is an ideal wife, and it's meant to be just that, an ideal. It's not likely that any woman can completely fulfill all that we have just read. It's something that, you again, you aspire to. And again, I, I think you have to remember, in the ancient world, people were, were marrying relatively young, probably in their teens, and I, I'm no, no discredit to fine young people around us today, but I've rarely met an 18-year-old that could live up to what we just read. I mean, that, that looks like something that has to be lived out over the course of a long aspect of life. And so if I was a young man right now and I was going to look for all those traits, wow, that, that would be something that would be hard to even discover if probably a woman had all of those right now. It's meant to be at a perfect ideal of what a potential wife could look like or women of what you could aspire to be like that is honoring to God. Let me give you an example for this because I thought all week about this. It's like, how, how, do, I, how do I help you to understand what he's trying to say here and what he's not trying to say? Uh, we are headed back into football season again this year and hope springs eternal for our Seahawks as they've won their first uh, preseason game. And so we're you know, looking good here. And one of the things that we all remember about football is the quarterback is probably one of the most important positions on the field. You need them all, but everybody wants a great quarterback, and they're constantly scouting for the next great talent to serve at quarterback. Now, one of the things you need to ask is, what makes a great NFL quarterback? There are certain maybe attributes that you'd want to see in a quarterback. Name a couple of them. Just give me a couple that you'd want to see in a quarterback. Speed, all right. What else? Accuracy. What else? Loyalty, all right. What else? Was it? Intelligence, yeah. I mean, so we could come, we could make our own list, right? But I, I won't bore you with all the details. I found somebody that categorized 12 of them, and I won't go through all of them, but let me just give you four. That a couple of them have been mentioned. One of the things you'd look for in a quarterback is arm strength and accuracy. I mean, can you be a quarterback if you can't throw the football? And you've got to throw the football down the field quite a ways, and you've got to throw the football with some accuracy. Another one is he has to be an individual who uh, is able to um, read the defense, somebody who is actually able to read the defense and know what the defense is doing, know what the defense is giving you and not giving you. He has to be somebody who is cool under pressure. He's got all these big people that are coming after him to try to tackle him. And he's got to be an individual who knows how to win. Uh, a good NFL quarterback, a great NFL quarterback is an individual who in the fourth quarter knows how to bring it home and knows how to score the touchdown for the win for his team. Now, do you think any of the modern day quarterbacks fulfill all 12 of the requirements or the ideals? The answer to that is probably no, or very few of them. Very few of them fulfill all 12. In fact, most teams would probably be elated to have a quarterback that fulfilled like nine or 10 of them. And so is it wrong to have the ideals of what the ideal quarterback would be? No, it's not wrong to have that ideal. It's something that you shoot for. It's something that you measure against. 
And in the same way, that's what I think he's doing here today is he's saying, boy, if you put the composite together of the ideal noble wife, this is what you'd come up with. And son, you know, you're looking for all these things. It's pretty good chance you're not going to get all of them, but you're looking for them. And, and women today, you're aspiring to be something. You're seeing the list of that. And there's steps forward that God has always taken in your life to unfold more of that with you. Proverbs 31 spells out character qualities. Those that are admired among a woman and regardless of their age or stage of life, we would admire seeing that within women. And Lord, uh, what I want you to hear today, ladies, is that I don't want this to become a judgment upon your life. I don't want this to become a condemnation upon who you currently are. In fact, the Bible is very clear. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And so I don't want this today to be a heavy weight to you. I want it rather to be an inspiration to you. And today we're going to look at, again, five of the character qualities. So I've boiled down 22 of them down to five. You're going to thank me. Thank me for that. Yeah. Five character qualities that you'd look for in a noble wife. Five character qualities. If I'm a lady, I would say some of these I really want to aspire towards because I know that they will bring honor to the Lord and those that are around me. All right, let's get into that. I'm starting off at the very end of the passage because I think it's where the most important thing lies. Everything else flows from this. If I'm looking for the characters of a noble wife, I'm looking number one for she fears the Lord. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Son, if you are looking for a wife, look for one who fears the Lord. Do you know that's a major theme of the book of Proverbs? Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we are told, and you cannot have true biblical wisdom unless you have a fear of the Lord. So a woman who fears the Lord knows that God exists. She knows that she is subject to him. She loves his word, the Bible. If we translate that to the New Testament context, she knows Jesus, and Jesus knows her. And I've always been amazed at those who have spent some time in the church. They know the teachings of Scripture, and they start to date, and they start to meet somebody, and they fudge on this one. And they date somebody who has no knowledge of God. They date somebody that's got no spiritual appetite. And I'm here to tell you that is a formula for disaster. Son, choose a woman who has fear of the Lord. Choose a woman who has appetite to walk with God. Choose a woman who wants to spend time with God's people. That will serve you well. Denise and I met, obviously, decades ago now. And I'll never forget, we met and we were trying to discern, you know, does God want us to be together? At that time, uh, I was a newer Christian, actually. I'd only known the Lord for a couple of years, but I just sensed God's call upon my life. And so one of the things I was doing while I lived in the city where we met in Sacramento, California, I was going on Sunday afternoons and I was going to a nursing home where I was preaching to mainly people that were asleep, but nevertheless, I, I was there. I learned so many valuable lessons through that. You know what I learned through that? Touch matters so much. If you just hug somebody, it almost doesn't make a difference what words you have. And I learned that, and, and it was so valuable for me. One of the things that Denise and I, as we met, I, you know, I was kind of testing, and I was like, I wonder how she'll do in that environment. Does she love the Lord and love his people? 
So I said, would you go with me? And she did. And obviously, she passed with flying colors. And Denise, over the years, has demonstrated so many times her fear of God, her love of God, and her love for people of God. Don't fudge on that one. Everything else I'm going to say past this, uh, you know, is important. But this is the one that's the litmus test. This is the one that's most important. Choose a wife who fears the Lord. And I'll flip it on its head. Choose a husband who fears the Lord. Almost everything else can be kind of corrected or massaged over time, but that's one that can't. All right, the second character quality you look for in a wife is trustworthy. And I'm in verses 11 and 12. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. The ideal is for a husband to have a wife who trusts him, to know her deeply and her to know him deeply and for him to always be able to say, you know what, I know my wife is for me. She is wanting my benefit. She's wanting my gain. She's looking out for me. And all of that is the environment that creates this mutual trust that is good for a marriage and good for a husband and a wife. It's the place where a man, if he has it, is completely able to share his heart, his concerns, his deepest needs. Ladies, do you trust your man? Do you speak well of him? Would he say, I know she is for me all the way? I want to give a shout out right now to some ladies who've demonstrated over the course of many months, many years, what I'm talking about right now related to trustworthiness. Many of you know that we have nine elders. That number fluctuates up and down a little bit. But they are the leaders, the shepherds of our church. They are charged by God to guide, guard, and govern the church here at CCF. And they're men who are nominated and then prayed over and then installed to that important position. I'm looking across the room. I see men who have served in that role now or in the past, and I want to thank you for that. But the group I want to bring to your attention right now is actually elder wives, and many of you don't know this, but elder wives, when elders meet Thursday nights uh, twice a month, we just met this last week, elder wives get together for a Zoom meeting in which they pray over their husbands and over the elders. Again, they don't know our agenda. They don't necessarily know what we're talking about that night. But here's what they do know. They know that prayer is important. They know that they know the Lord and they know us. And so they want to bring us before God. I can't tell you over the course of time, what that means to us and how that builds this sense of trust. And every time I know that they are praying, I'm like, whoa, these women believe in us. These women want God's best through us. And they know that that's one of the most important things that they could do would be to get together and pray for us. And so again, I wanna give a, a big shout out to those ladies for doing that because it's, no, it's something that is, again, demonstrating that they really are trustworthy and that they're individuals that are really behind us. The old English axiom is true. Behind every successful, successful man 
is a good woman. And that axiom is, is true most of the time. All right, the third character trait you look for in a wife is industrious. And I'm looking at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with her willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for the household and portions for her maidens. That's a hard-working woman we're seeing here. She's not idle. She's able to roll up her sleeves and get it done. And one of the metaphors he uses here is one of a merchant or a merchant ship. And you can imagine a merchant ship going and coming back to harbor, and it's bringing back all of these wonderful things from a land. And so you go to the ship, and you're trading and bartering to make sure that you get things like clothing or, or cloth, fine cloth, or cinnamon or spices or mahogany wood, and all of those things you go and get and bring back to your household. And a, a, a wife, a noble wife, is one who knows how to act like that merchant ship and she goes out shopping and bringing back the wonders to the home. Now she goes to Costco and gets the stuff that's the bargain and brings it back home and, and keeps the home going. I may joke about that, but Denise constantly goes to a collection of places and brings back stuff that we need in order to keep our little place going. And when we have kids, that was bringing back things that they needed, like children's clothing or food for the home, or things that are furnishing, or things that we're running out of, and she's willing to go and keep that going, and keep that running. My woman is an industrious woman, and he is saying that an industrious woman even does things like buys land. I mean, that's probably something most of us don't do, but this woman was even buying land and planting vineyards on it. So she's just got industry that's all around her. She's got business acumen that's just pouring forth from all the aspects of her living and her being. And so she is a woman that's not afraid of going and making some business happen and bringing things back that are good for her family. Man, I want to talk to you for just a second because um, we can make some mistakes here. You have a wife that wants to be industrious and wants to do good for your household. And one of the things that I'm charging you to do today is, is give her a little latitude. I think I made a mistake earlier on in my marriage and I wanted to maybe put a little too tight control on my wife over the kinds of things that she would buy or the places that she would go to buy them or the number of trips she would take to go do those. And what I've learned over time is that I've got a woman of industry here. She, she knows how to do those things. She knows how to keep the whole thing going. And I've got to give her latitude to just go do that in her way. And I can't micromanage that too tightly. Chances are good. You've got a wife with some real gifts. You've got a wife who knows how to do things, how to get things done. And you've got to leave some latitude for her to do that in a way that she knows how to do, that's pleasurable to her, and that probably is best for your whole family. The fourth character trait you should look for in a wife is strength. I'm looking at verse 17 and also verse 29. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. A strong woman. <laughs> you know, today, if we said that, oh, she's a strong woman, that would almost be a put-down. But you know what? Not for God. God loves strong women. 
He loves women who've got some backbone. He loves women who aren't easily pushed around. And that's why we have such a good line of women in the Bible who are strong women. I'm thinking of women like Sarah and Rebecca, Deborah, the judge, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all of them are strong women that are portrayed to us. The kind of strength is very multifaceted. In fact, it's got a lot of dimensions to it. And a strong woman is certainly strong physically. You'll notice that he mentions how strong her arms are, probably from all the tasks that she's doing and the children that she's running after and all those things that she's doing that's bringing strength to her body. But she's more than strong bodily. She's strong emotionally. She's no pushover. She, it says she dresses herself with strength. And so every morning when she gets up, she's like ready to meet the day. She's one who is strong in God-honoring confidence. He says she laughs at the future because the future doesn't hold fear for her. It's not something she's looking at and she's worried about because she knows God is the one that she's trusting in. In fact, I love the quote from a Bible writer named Adrian Segal. This is the way she puts it. A woman who trusts in the Lord is finally free to be truly strong. She isn't worried about the things over which she has no control. She trusts God to help and care for her family in all the ways that she cannot. Then she works to do the things she can. It's a loving God who's sovereign over her family's future. Her part is to live, work, and love in a way that honors God. He's responsible for the rest, and his son has covered over many shortcomings with his own blood. She's strong, and she's strong in all the right ways. Ladies, I know that many of you are saying, and I am living it myself, As I grow older, I'm sorry, but my body is just not as strong as it used to be. And that is very true for all of us who are living another day is it comes to the point at which I'm sorry, but my body is not that strong. Here's what I've noticed. For ladies and men that become older, they maybe become stronger in other ways. In fact, I've noticed they become stronger in prayer, stronger in prayer in faith, stronger in caring, stronger in support, and I could go on, because there's other things that begin to blossom at the point at which perhaps bodily strength goes away, and they're of great value to God. God loves a strong woman, and every man should also admire those qualities when he sees them. The fifth and final character trait you might look for in a wife is caring. I'm looking at verses 20 and 26 right now. She opens her door to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy, and she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. For all her strength, this woman has an appropriate soft side. She is the person who sees individuals who are suffering. She sees people that need encouragement, And she is there. She is the one who comes alongside because she sees those who are in need and she's not afraid to meet that need. I want to give a shout out to a few people today who I think have excelled in this area and done it wonderfully over the course of decades. I really want to bring to your attention a group today that cares on our behalf, uh, 365, And that group is the caring ministry of our church. 
Many of you don't necessarily know that they exist because they're operating in the background, but the caring ministry is there for individuals who are maybe hospitalized and have come home from the hospital and need a little extra care. They've been known to give meals or even give, I know for a while they were giving out things like the, 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 the pumps that you need around maybe a replacement, knee replacement. They bring some water and some cold to that. I mean, they, they were kind of meeting whatever needs were there. They, they meet the needs of individuals or maybe new moms that come home and maybe need a little help with some housework or maybe just corralling the kids. They're individuals who celebrate with those women perhaps or families that have a new, love, a new one that's in their house. And so they're you know, celebrating that. So they do a plethora of things that brings good to the church and meets needs when people have them. Maybe they've lost a loved one and so they need some extra care. The caring ministry is there. There's an individual who for more than two decades has led that ministry and done a wonderful job at that. Her name is Carol Sheldon. She's sitting right there and I'd like to give her a round of applause. Here's what I know about Carol. Carol's a wonderful leader, a wonderful organizer, but Carol is smart enough to know she could never do that by herself. And so over the course of many years, she has recruited literally dozens, maybe even hundreds of individuals who've served in this ministry. If you've ever served in bringing a meal, making a phone call, doing the things that make the caring ministry work, would you please stand right now? Thank you, thank you, thank you, ladies from the bottom of our hearts. We are a healthier church as a result of your hard work. And we commend you today. We thank you today because what you're doing matters. And it's helping us to be, again, a better church that's making maturing disciples of Jesus. What do we do with this? How do we close today? Well, for those of you who are young and unmarried, I hope this helps you evaluate and know a little bit about what to look for, at least what matters to God. Looks are so low on God's list. Heart and character are what are high on his list. If you're looking for a good wife, pay more attention to who she is than what she looks like. But let's face it, most of us here today are older than that. Most of us here today are already married. And so what about you? I want to talk to husbands and I want to talk to wives before we close today. Husbands, I want to remind you, a number of years ago, there was a business writer, his name was Ken Blanchard, and he wrote a book called The One Minute Manager. And one of the key premises of The One Minute Manager was what he called management by walking around. You just walk around and you notice kind of what's going on around you. And one of the things he called you to do as management by walking around is find somebody doing something good and commend them for it. I wonder how much more our wives would flourish if we caught them doing something good and we said so. I'm not talking about making things up. Your wife will know if you do that anyway. 
But it doesn't take much to notice all the good things that your wife is doing and commend her for it. Sweetie, thanks for the industriousness that I saw in you today for shopping. Something so simple, we need it. Thank you for that. I appreciate you cleaning out that closet. Wow, did it need it, and that was hard work. Thanks for doing the hard work of caring for our children. You're a great mom. Thanks for caring for that friend. I know Karen needed to meet you today, and I know it meant a lot to her. Thank you for doing that. Notice your wife doing something good and say so. Make a deposit in her life. You'll never regret that. And it will be something that brings good to your wife today. Ladies, let me speak to you. I'm coming back again to something that I touched on earlier on. Don't let Satan dogpile you. That's what he wants to do today. And he's coming to you and saying things like, did you just see the list of Proverbs 31 and all the things that make a noble wife? Wow, how far are you from that? You're you're practically not even a Christian. And there's all of this lies and all of this condemnation that he wants to put upon you. Do not accept that. Come back again today and say, this is an ideal. This is something that I'm to aspire to. I'm not there yet. But I am a wonderful work in progress. I am a fine painting that's being masterfully done by God himself. And I'm in the process of becoming all things that are good to him. And so today I'm going to believe that and I'm going to step into just one, maybe one thing that would bring him more honor and glory, God, and would help my family and maybe my husband. Maybe today you'd say, you know what? I need a little bit more industry. And so I'm gonna ask God for the strength for that. Maybe I'm gonna build a little bit more trust with my husband and say some good things that I like about him and all the ways that I'm believing him, I want him to succeed. And I'm gonna do some things practically about that today. Maybe you need the capacity to care for a few more hurting people around you and ask him to give you that ability and the strong arms that are needed for that. So I have a charge for the men and a charge for the women. Let me come back to all of us on what we need to hear today. Here's what I want you to hear. For all of us, character matters. Look for a spouse, whether it's a husband or a wife, who loves God and is in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's what you're looking for above all else. Pray with me. Your word, Lord, is utterly practical. And I love that Solomon saw fit to end this book with something so intimate as a relationship between a husband and a wife. And what it looks like to lead a noble life for a woman. Lord, I'm praying that you are bringing that kind of spirit and wholeness to this church. I'm praying that we are trusting you 
And we are believing what you say is right and good and profitable. And that we have a never-ending supply of women who look like this, of men who long for this. And men, of course, have their own side of the equation of what looks to be ideal, many of which, Mitch, would look very similar to this. Would you be increasing our faith towards being men who also honor you in all things? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for the book of Proverbs that's just given us wisdom for life. We long to live out of that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.